Hey guys, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. The Raptors have a New Year's Eve game. If you're still looking for plans for New Year's Eve, they've got some fun home ones coming up in the New Year as well. And GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. And then under the billing section, redeem the code the athletic. It's all one word, the athletic. Uh, that'll get you $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first thousand people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year, which is December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last minute tickets. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Walter and Eric Kareen. Eric, what's going on, man? Not too much. Second last day of 2019. Watching some Canada-Germany Sweet World Junior action. If there's two things I love, it's putting way too much pressure on teens and arbitrary endpoints. So this is a, a perfect week for me. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, if you consider a full rotation around the sun arbitrary, then uh, I guess it was it would be an arbitrary start point too. Yes, because like, when are you starting the rotation? When does also the not exactly start? one rotation around the sun? Um, yeah, that's the leap year thing, right? The leap year thing, and also I had a recent conversation with a friend. That may have um, come after some drugs about like what, how would we even, how long would it take us to realize that like our rotation around the sun had sped up or slowed down because we're so tied to this 365 day year calendar and a slight change in the rotation speed probably wouldn't reveal itself for a fair amount of time um, because proportionately it would be small. How would we even know? I'm sure the scientists would be on that, but. Now that I say it, maybe they wouldn't be. I don't know. I don't know. Good good thought, though. That's a, that's a good drug thought. Yeah. I also found out recently um, when I was doing the podcast Sportsfeld as a guest, they have a segment called Does This Freak You Out? And I guess um, they have they now believe that there are multiple universes. So we thought that like the universe with the word uni in the name was a cell was like the contained entirety of existence. And now there's potentially a multiverse and space man space is uh space is weird no i'm excited i would be excited about that um if it is indeed true uh my favorite season of fringe uh was season three in which there was uh earth one and earth two and that's why my my twitter bio as everybody knows or my location says i am from toronto earth one because I think I got Twitter right around the second or third season of Fringe. I thought uh, you were going to say Friends as you teed up Fringe there. And I was going to be, no. wait a second. I do not remember this episode of Friends where... Now, I don't know my friends super well, other than John Favreau's arc as the rich MMA fighter. Um, but, you know, I, I don't recall them <laughs> Is that going arc? into... Yeah. he's. Wow. I think his name's Pete Becker. Sure. He Who's comes he in and he's he like dating, dating Monica, but... He yeah. gives up dating Monica to, like, chase his dream of being a uh, mixed martial artist? 
Wow, that's like that's pretty back there for that to be a character type, like or a character's yeah, goal. That and Paul Friends. Rudd are the only things I really remember about Friends, <laughs> and also the th- only things that hold up. Probably Paul Rudd is uh, is timeless in all things. Yes. Uh, congratulations to his Kansas City Chiefs, who uh, got the second seed in the uh, AFC, thanks to the Miami Dolphins beating the New England Patriots, which I think is something we can all get behind. I didn't know that Paul Rudd was a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Yeah, he's a I guess huge... I'll use that. I'll use that to ask you, Eric. How how are your Dallas Cowboys? Well, neither my team or or your you know team sometimes when you choose to acknowledge football have fired our coaches. Uh, their coaches yet here on Black Monday. Uh, so I would really prefer that that happen soon. Uh, and then if they would shoot the owner into the moon, that would also be great. Or at least muzzle him. The muzzle would be a good start. It would be a good start. Yeah, we don't have to kill him. Just, like, stop talking. Nothing good happens when you speak. You just, like, you just give yourself worse negotiating position as as the general manager. Because... Of course you're the owner and general manager. That's a thing that makes sense. And now that Eric has concluded, after all of his existence, that only bad things can happen when you speak, we leave you there. This is the end of the Raptors Reasonless podcast. <laughs> Eric no longer wishes to speak. We're out of here. <laughs> that, that assumes that I ever wish to speak. Oh, man. If, if I could go through the rest of my life without having to speak, to get the uh, blissful existence of Gian Yu instead of Jason Mendoza... Uh, I would be like, that would be like the opposite arc for me. If well, I... not to throw a Molotov cocktail at your plans here, Eric, but we have <laughs> an entire podcast to do about the Toronto Raptors, not the Dallas Cowboys or my sometimes Jacksonville Jaguars. We got to talk Raptors. The last time we talked to the people, uh, the Raptors had suffered a billion injuries and we were wading through some of the follow from that. In the time since, even though it's only been uh, 11 days since we did a podcast because of the holiday week break, uh, they've somehow managed to fit six games in there. They've gone three and three. Uh, they beat the Washington Wizards in a fun one, had a 30-point comeback against the Dallas Mavericks, had a 15-point comeback come up short in an OT loss to the Indiana Pacers, got stomped by the Boston Celtics on Christmas Day, stomped the Boston Celtics on December 28th, and then lost a weird one against OKC on Sunday. Obviously, we're not going to go through all those game by game. Uh, we'll touch on the, the most recent Boston and Oklahoma City games in a little more detail. Uh, big picture, though, Eric, losing Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, and Marcus Gasol, all while Matt Thomas remained out, DeWan Hernandez even out for, for depth purposes. The Raptors going 3-3 three and three here and even staying afloat is a victory, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, you get Stanley Johnson back, so that helps the depth. Um, but, uh, yeah, no need to pile on there. Um, but yeah, I, I think what we've seen has been more encouraging than I thought while also falling in to sort of the expected range of overall performance. Uh, the three games that they've had a big rest issue, a rest issue. So, uh, back-to-back against Indiana, even though Indiana was on a back-to-back, the Raptors were on a back-to-back uh, after having come back from 30 points. So one could argue that maybe it was a more strained back-to-back for the Raptors. 
And then they played basically a day and a half later against the Celtics. And then on a back-to-back against Oklahoma City, uh, when the Thunder were waiting for the Raptors in Toronto. Those are the three losses. I'm not going to say A caused B, but, you know, when you're down so many important rotation players, it sort of makes sense that uh, the lack of rest compared to your opponent or just not even compared to your opponent, just in general, might hit you harder. Uh, The other thing we've seen, I I think the defense has, you know, certainly not been perfect, but again, within the expected range. And it's been the offense that has struggled for large portions of time uh, when when things have looked bad, like before the 30-point comeback against against Dallas, notably uh, yesterday against Oklahoma City, certainly. Uh, and that will happen when you take, you know, your, your top scorer and, and your arguably your top three-point shooter this year, or at least one of them, and, and your top bench pr- producer, as well as a offensive hub. Now, at the risk of speaking too much and covering going over your talking points, I'm just going to stop speaking now and, and allow you to direct the conversation further. It's okay. I tuned out, and I'm working on getting Jimmy Havoc on Columbia House Party over here. So okay. uh, whatever you said was great, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, wow. so no, I, I I agree. You know, them them coming out of this three and three is a positive. You get a couple, you know, good wins. And even though the Raptors in 2019, the greatest year in franchise history, have grown past moral victories, uh, there are still some within that, you know, playing good teams tight while you're so shorthanded and seeing growth from individual guys. Um, I think, you know, to your point about how there was some ugliness in here, a 30 point comeback against Dallas and a 15 point near comeback against Indiana are great. They still indicate you fell behind 30 and 15 in those games. Um, Two really good teams who were also a little banged up in those games. Even the Boston game uh, without Marcus Smart for the first one and Time Lord and Vincent Poirier are on the the shelf as well. OKC without Danilo Gallinari and Dennis Schroeder. Uh, This time of year, no one is particularly healthy. The Raptors, exceptionally so. They're up to third in the NBA in player games lost to injury. I would imagine if we controlled for the impact of those guys and looked at something like win shares or uh, wins added via player impact plus minus, they'd be behind only Golden State who have lost uh, all their games to their two best players, which uh, may at some point become a matter of strategy rather than a matter of misfortune, considering uh, even this shorthanded Golden State team has maybe done too much winning for their you know, you're you're trying to Tim Duncan this thing. You're trying to trying to win those uh, lose those games. Uh, the Raptors obviously couldn't bottom out like that. So the best case scenario for them is to stay afloat like this, win as many games as they can, stay in that mix in the two to six range in the East that is very very tight, and they've mostly done that. Uh, the two and six in the East are separated by three and a half games right now, which is about three games more than they were separated by uh, earlier. But the Raptors right now sit in fourth. Tied for fourth with Philadelphia at 22 and 11, and, and even surviving three and three on this stretch, um, big picture is important. I think now there is no immediate, imminent return for any of these guys. Uh, Norman Powell and Matt Thomas are both both traveled with the team to Boston. Matt Thomas has been doing a lot of working out without um, using his left middle finger. He is seeking uh, clearance for contact on January 6th as of Nick Nurse's last update. Norman Powell being able to do a little bit of on-court stuff 
makes his return probable probably more close to to use a really poor sentence um it's probably closer than Gasol or Siakam who haven't returned to on-court activity as of the last update um but none of that seems particularly imminent so the Raptors will continue to move forward shorthanded now in terms of how we thought they'd look over these six games versus how they look not in terms of um the not in terms of win-loss record or their overall performance I I think that you know, is they've, they've played slightly better than maybe we expected. Um, to the specifics that we laid out, some things we were, we seem to have been right on, some things less so. Uh, one of the things we were right on is a little bit more usage of that Terrence Davis, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Chris Boucher bench unit. That has been pretty effective. Um, that wasn't used a lot Sunday, Eric, because new name added to the bench rotation uh, in place of Malcolm Miller and then on Sunday in place of Brandon Hollis Jefferson for the second half. O'Shea Brissett, do we add him to the depth list now? Is he in the mix? Well, he played a career-high 15 minutes on Saturday and then a career-high 18 minutes on Sunday. Uh, There are healthy bodies who normally play a similar position, such as Malcolm Miller, Stanley Johnson, um, who have full roster spots, who he's playing ahead of. So he's obviously somebody you have to consider. Now, I think, like, this role can might switch from game to game, uh, or, or at least games to games, uh, once you see enough mistakes or if something's just not working. I don't think he'll has Nick Nurse will hesitate to go to Malcolm Miller or even to, to try Stanley Johnson at some point. But I think O'Shea Brissett, within his role, has been very good at, at what he's been able to do and what they want from him. He's super active on the glass, super active everywhere, really. Um, and his on-ball defense has been, you know, I wrote he, he's almost erased the Syracuse stink uh, from the questions about his defense. Uh, okay, Leo. Obviously, that's the opposite of Leo. Um, because, you know, Syracuse relies on a zone and, and as you have commented on a few times, that makes it hard to judge a, a college player's individual defensive ability in, in most schemes. Now the Raptors obviously play more zone, so that can be useful, that experience in the zone for a player like Brissett, but overall, like he has had to, you know, whether for a possession at a time or multiple possessions at a time, had to step in front of some pretty good offensive players uh, you know, like Chris Paul, or not so much yesterday, but a bit of uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, a bit of a lot of Jason Tatum in his uh in his run on Saturday, and you can see certainly see what they saw in him, which is you know really quick feet can switch almost across the board, at, at least excluding centers, you know, true you know banging centers. He's been really good, and he's not trying to do too much out there. Uh, it'd be nice if he started to to use Nick Nurse's parlance, bang in some threes, but uh, that will come or won't. But what he's done out there has been, uh, for the most part, positive. Yeah, and it's not, I don't want to say it's surprising because, um, you know, things like hustle and rebounding and defense are things that tend to translate pretty well. And Brissett, even with the 905 this year, has been, um, you know, a high effort defender and a, a high energy rebound guy. Now, I didn't I, 
I don't want to say I was skeptical uh, that he would be able to step into a role. Obviously, I, I think people know by now that I'm I'm pretty fond uh, of his game and, and the summer that he's put in and his early work with the with the Raptors here. But he was not having um, the smoothest of starts to his 905 season. Obviously, he had been up and down a ton. And I think with a young player, an undrafted rookie in particular, um, some level of consistency is probably necessary for, for them to really get going at, at the G League level. Um, over 11 games, he was shooting only 37% from the floor and only 15% on three. And that's on a pretty good volume of three. So, um, you know, offensively, for a guy who's mostly just a play finisher and a transition threat at this point, um, you know, I, I think there's probably a cap on his usage uh, in, in terms of minutes right now but as long as the defense is there and as long as the rebounding is there especially because those two things help fuel the transition game where he can pick up easy points um i think i think he can be a guy and i think you know he averaged seven rebounds in 26 minutes uh with the 905 which is pretty good it was his probably his best skill that stood out of his profile um coming out of two years at syracuse where he averaged 8.2 uh rebounds per game over those two seasons so i think I think those things are encouraging. I think he has the right kind of attitude to come in and play those minutes. And, um, you know, they're going to hit a certain point where he'll max out his days because he has been up with the NBA team so much. But until that point, I don't really see a great argument for keeping him out of the rotation other than maybe, you know, we've talked the Malcolm Miller as a rotation guy, I think probably to death by now over the last couple of years. Um <laughs> You know, Miller's still shooting 41% on threes for his career, but he he seems to have missed that window of opportunity there. Even though he was a part of the Dallas comeback um, and played, played you know, not great minutes in the Indiana game, but was a positive in those minutes as well from a, from a lineup perspective. Um, O'Shea seems to have jumped him. Stanley Johnson is a persona non grata in meaningful minutes. Uh, the one thing I really like about Brissett too is he is, obviously you don't judge a player's on-court play by this, but I appreciate that he's just like, He's a nice kid and he seems like very happy to be there, not in the sense that he's overwhelmed or complacent or anything, but he got asked last night about, you know, having to defend Kemba Walker and Chris Paul over the course of his first two real NBA games. And he said, I'm going to go back home tonight and just reminisce like it's crazy that I got to guard CP in an NBA game. Um, So it's like I I like when guys um, are up, are open to, you know, being honest and realistic about those things rather than trying to act like they've been there before and downplay it and stuff, because it is really cool, and he should feel really good about it. He should also feel really good about being a part of the most Canadian basketball game in NBA history, with O'Shea Brissett, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chris Boucher, and Lugans Dort all seeing minutes. Eric, that's something you wrote about last night. How special was it for you as, you know, the lead writer of Canada, Canadian basketball uh, to, to see all of your guys out on the floor at once like that? Uh, the other thing I want to mention about Brissett before we're totally off the topic is like, and this is obviously, you know, plays into his rebounding. He's just like a more physical presence than you're going to get out of Malcolm Miller. Uh, like he's, he's just wider and stronger in the upper body. And that obviously plays into what he's able, yeah, and that plays into what he's able to do right now. Um, man, it was a cool night. Like it wasn't my favorite game aesthetically, like sort of. Shay and and Kyle Lowry to an extent were the only guys who really really had it going. Chris Paul was just torching the Raptors in, in the third quarter on on the uh, pick and roll as Serge Ibaka was uh, falling back to protect the glass and and just cover up the the rim in general. 
But something I wrote about, by the way, that'll be yeah. out later today on theathletic.com slash Toronto. Where, by the way, if you are not already subscribed, 50% off December 30th and December 31st if you click off one of our articles. So if you want to know more about Serge Balka's dropback scheme, why it frustrates you, but why the Raptors mostly stick to it, you can check out theathletic.com slash Raptors or theathletic.com slash Toronto or just my author page. You know, if you if you just want the good, that good, good. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, but you know, I think it's something we've talked about a bit. Like, this is just going to keep happening to an extent. Like, like yeah, four guys won't be on the floor every night, but it's now happened twice, and however many games they've played, thirty-three or or whatever it it may be, and you know, you could you expect one or two guys to sort of creep into the league every year and. And for for one of those players last night to be a legitimate focal point of the game, and two other two not even you know uh, Lagance Dort uh, played a pretty important role because of the shape that Oklahoma City's backcourt is in. Uh, so there are three significant role players who uh, all played. I'd imagine I haven't I haven't looked at Dort's numbers. He played. Uh, let's get it up He played there. 17 minutes last 17 time. minutes. So they all played 17 minutes or more. So I'm guessing that's the most minutes ever played by four Canadians in a game. Now, maybe Steve Nash and, and one other Canadian have the all-time record. I don't know. And Elias, uh, Elias has not uh, walked with us and provided that information. Uh, but it was just cool. To, yeah, it was cool to see them all over the floor, and you know, SGA was just a monster in the first half. Uh, he made some pretty good defenders look pretty slow at times, uh, and I think you know Nick Nurse's comments about him were right on. The he has sort of a, a preternatural ability to get going and slow down, and his shifting gears is almost as impressive as just his first step, which is, you know, the most notable thing about his game. Uh, is my, I guess, my second time seeing him up, him, him play up close. His first time, my first time seeing him play up close in such a high usage role. He uh, shot 21 times and had three turnovers and six free throws. Uh, and those were... I mean, the 21 field goals and six free throws were all highs on on the evening uh, for any player uh, tied on the free throw count. He was exceptional, man. And uh, you can see why people are excited about him. And the other guys, you know, all showed their moments. Chris Boucher with one of the best dunks of the year. No foul, as Matt Devlin might say. Um, And uh, yeah, that was nasty. Uh, but the Terrence Davis keep... lob. That's the Jamal McGlure dunk. That's the <laughs> one they throw on. They throw down on McGlure every single pregame, like to wrap up their shooting session. No, um, you would have had to seen that process to understand that joke. But I'm I'm here for it's a one percent joke. If one percent of the people really get it, and maybe they won't, that will be worth it. That is the most lead writer attitude I've ever heard. Oh, uh, the 1%, only the 1% will get this, but I'll carry on nonetheless. I'll do what I want. I'll do what I want with my editorial freedom and uh, my editorial license. Uh, It was a cool night. 
it was definitely, and, and you know, it just makes you a bit more excited for June should this all come together in the ways we are daring to hope and daring to expect. Shay's so good, say. man. It's uh, yeah, it's a lot. I like Door too. I remember um, the year that Canada did a FIBA qualifier here in Toronto, uh, right around on Canada Day weekend. They had like a B team out too for the main team to scrimmage against, and like multiple people were like, like told me like holy hell, like Dort stood out on that B team so much. And he was still a college kid at that point. So I've kind of been excited for him. Obviously, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well last night, one of six. Um, but he has been killer in the G League. And he just like has that kind of energy and physicality that I think is going to translate well. It's like the 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 best way to sum up Dort's game is that it's shocking that he's not a Raptor or a Celtic. <laughs> he's just like body type wise, he's the most Celtics player that there is yeah uh he's gonna be you know he's has the potential to definitely be a rotation piece a consistent rotation piece now as we mentioned both of these teams are pretty banged up uh for, in the thunders case particularly in the backcourt but uh there's there's hope there for you know if, if you look at dort Brissett, and uh and boucher they're all sort of on the outside looking in in terms of rotation minutes this year and uh you know they're playing mostly not entirely but mostly because of injuries but they're they're both making good on those minutes uh, and with those minutes is a positive thing and it's again it's going to make this team trying to get down to 12 if if 75% of the you know the people show up of the players show up which is a huge huge question it's going to make it a very interesting process Boucher who by the way has probably probably played better than anyone stepping into a larger role with all these injuries I would say do you think that's fair like he's uh, made the yeah, most of I this think window. he's 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 maybe fallen off a slight oh yesterday wasn't his strongest game i guess but he, he was very good in both boston games uh i thought and another small thing to mention is nick nurse started matching up uh both on saturday and sunday abaca with the burlier opposing center so ennis Cantor and uh stephen adams uh and with boston Cantor's coming off the bench so that required a part uh, a bit more malleability and it takes me back to the philadelphia series where you know matching up marcus all with joel mb didn't happen until you know maybe game four or game five and now we're in game 33 of the regular season or 32 in saturday night's case and he's just going for it so you could see nick nurse changing a bit too in real time it's uh i was looking at boucher's numbers this morning uh, because Boucher has now played more than twice as many minutes this year than he played uh, last year. And last year, almost other than like five minutes against the Pacers, where DeMontis Sabonis took him into the post and worked him over, all of Boucher's minutes last year were basically garbage time. So you would expect a decline maybe in counting stats um, because he's now playing more meaningful minutes and, and he's in a smaller role. So his usage rate is down. But his efficiency in terms of true shooting percentage has gone up with that, which you'd like to see. Um, his assist to turnover rate has improved dramatically. And then on a per 36 minute basis, he's still putting up 18 and 12 with two blocks. Um, so I think 
you know, what he's done in this window is, is pretty encouraging. And I think I think Nurse had even before the Gasol injury kind of said he was going to like there was that one game when people were still healthy where Boucher had jumped Rondé Hollis Jefferson as kind of the backup power forward. And, and Nurse basically said, well, he makes enough happen out there that he's going to stick around um, and, and he's going to find spots for him. And I, I think Boucher's locked that down. Obviously, there are going to be some opponents and some nights that it's not there because he is still an experienced learning player. Um, but it's been good. He's cut the fouls down a little bit, which is uh, weird to say because it still feels like he fouls a ton. But he's got nothing on Rondé in that regard. I yeah, guess. exactly. He's not he's not committing a foul every two minutes, which uh, I think Rondé has nine fouls in 19 minutes, I believe, over the last two games, which is uh, he was stapled to the bench and on Sunday Sunday night, which I was a bit surprised to see given the depth, but you can also understand it. It's really like the Raptors are a foul-heavy team at the best of times, and if he's contributing to the opponent getting into the penalty, then, you know, if you have other options, which which the Raptors still do somehow, you ride with them. Yes, the Toronto Raptors, who, by the way, just getting the absolute most bias from, from the officials... Uh, they average 0.9 more fouls per game than their opponent. Yes. Unbelievable. Um, there were a few people in my comments today, and I know you don't like to talk about the refs, but this isn't specifically about the refs, but the Raptors' reaction to the refs that are saying maybe Nurse and, to a lesser extent, Kyle Lowry, but Lowry's been doing this sort of his whole career. Maybe Nurse's... Uh, Walter's making a cameo if if the noise is surprising you here. Um, but maybe Nurse is, is getting on them too much. He was seen apparently sarcastically clapping and uh, wish, congratulating them after the Thunder game. Obviously, I think you'll agree there was a blown call at the heart of that final 75 seconds. Uh, not that the Raptors didn't benefit immediately after from a makeup call, but it still cha- changed the situation of things uh and i think it was the indiana game too in which uh nick nurse stood at center court for a while just looking staring a hole through an official uh is this too much from a coach a lead who leads the league in technicals by the way or uh is it just the natural approach of a guy who knows his team's undermanned and is trying to do everything he can to uh, get the pendulum to swing his team's way? Do you have a particular stance on this? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. I think I think there's an element of, first of all, there's an element of frustration when, obviously, when you think calls don't go your way. And, and Nurse, even as a rookie head coach, was pretty demonstrative pretty early. Um, he got memed to death for it. <laughs> um, but I think this is, you know, especially over the last six to 15 games, whenever, however long they've, they've been shorthanded and wherever you want to cut that line off, I think there's probably an element of, look, his team's undermanned, his team is playing above where maybe they were expected to, and these guys are putting in these incredible comeback efforts or hanging tough with with a team that maybe they shouldn't be hanging tough with on the second night of a back-to-back, missing five guys. And I think that there's an, I'm sure most of it is just in the moment frustration, but I think there's also probably a strategic element of trying to have your guys back and trying to... You know, I, I always wonder with coaches how much of it is them being frustrated and how much of it is them trying to, you know, be the leader in terms of frustration, where if 
if you let your players know you have their back and you're going to argue for them, then they don't have to worry about it as much. Uh, and then also just like that small element of like, hey, guys, I know you're I know you're working hard and we feel that didn't go our way. Um, I've got your back and I am, you know, I'm, I'm fighting with you. I don't know how much conscious thought goes into that stuff, but I think it's probably just a mix of those things. Bigger picture, you know, having eight technicals at this point in the year is not the best for Nick Nurse's wallet or, or potential uh, suspension down the line. Um, but also, you know, this is a low event stat and I don't know that you can extrapolate over the entire season. And I also think if you look back at the history of other coaches who have been high tech coaches, um, you know, there was a stretch where like Eric Spolster was leading the league in technical fouls. And I don't think that hurt Eric Spolster's reputation or his relationships with officials or anything like that. Yeah. He's allowed, he's allowed to run to half court. So, uh, or past half court, so... I think it's just been a frustrating stretch for the team in general, and the officials are, you know, a pretty natural outlet for that kind of... for for letting that frustration out. Um, Now, I do think that, from a more selfish perspective, those kind of things lead to more people in my mentions angry about the refs, and, like, citing stats that aren't real to, like, argue that there's a bias against the Raptors. Let me just say this. If there were a bias against the Toronto Raptors, they would not have won the NBA championship and got through a seven-game series that was decided by one basket. Yeah, the refs didn't work that hard to screw the Raptors last year. Now, that... that Maybe it was just a pro-Kawhi bias for some reason. True. Because you want to take one of your least vocal and marketable stars in traditional senses and, you know, get every uh, dollar you can out of him. Uh, maybe that's now look it. I don't mean to I don't mean to mock what I, I get why people get frustrated at the officials I just wish that we could stick to the Hanlon's razor here where it's you know never mm-hmm. ba- basically if the explanation if you're looking for an insidious explanation but there's a much simpler explanation that you know is also just I'm botching the, explanation. the, the what it is is it's Never assume conspiracy when incompetence can just as easily be the uh, the reason for what's happening. And now that is strong for NBA officials to use the word incompetence. I don't. That's think what that's I was fair. trying to avoid. <laughs> and I don't think we should talk. We we should talk about officials that way because they get way more right than they get wrong. Uh, you know, other than last night, which is a one point game and obviously could have gone either way. Uh, I think the record is where it should be, even if the Raptors Pacers game went into overtime. Uh, the Raptors ha- and the Raptors had their own chances to win that game. So you get when you're in the thick of it, and, and fans are often in the thick of it emotionally. So I get I get all of it, but it's not particularly helpful to just say the ref screwed up and we lost. Well, the like the Raptors, even after Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, scored to put the Raptors ahead or the Thunder ahead by one. The Raptors had a full possession uh, and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet had multiple chances each to get by their man and create an advantage and they couldn't do that. And then the Raptors and Terrence Davis botched a situation that could have extended the game. Uh, So, you know, I think we're both from the perspective of let's look what the Raptors can do to change their fortunes and not waiting for officials who are going to, you know, by their nature, you know, err at some points and at some key points, uh, because there's really nothing to be said about that other than it happens and there are the mechanisms in place that are in place to 
to fix that, but nothing's going to change from that front uh, on a in on a macro level. So let's focus on the team and what they're doing and what they're not doing. Uh, from that uh, extent, another thing you're writing about today. Sorry, uh, can, I, can I just jump in yeah, here? Yeah, 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 yeah. So first of all, thank you for cleaning up my explanation of Hanlon's razor, which got really messy as I was trying not to use the word stupid. Yeah. Um, so I, I used incompetence. <laughs> I couldn't find I couldn't find the word to not call officials d- dumb. So thank you for bailing me out there. Uh, but yeah, this is the same thing I say when when you know inevitably after a loss, there's almost always a, a comment or or a tweet that's like, well, if they just made their shots, it's like, yeah, but you could say that for every team for every game that's ever happened. If you know the one team made more shots or the other team made less, the important thing is to focus on the things that you have control over and can insulate you from that variance in shooting or that variance in officials. So um, both of those things, yeah, that's that's the approach that I would take with it. Um, now, that said, that was obviously a missed call, uh, unfortunately. So I actually thought at the t- in the moment, I was like, well, damn, this sucks that Nick Nurse burned his challenge on an earlier play that was pretty low leverage. Chris Boucher thought he had a clean block on a shot, um, he did not. The challenge was lost and, and Nurse lost it for the rest of the game. Uh, but in looking into it more this morning, I don't believe that call was challengeable. I don't think so. There was no call to challenge, uh, like no whistle. Um, Which I uh, thought you could get around because you have to call a timeout to use a challenge anyway. So I thought maybe if he called the timeout immediately yeah. after. The the wording on all this what you can and can't challenge stuff is still pretty, like even the teams are still a little yeah. fuzzy. Like, I know um, out-of-bounds stuff can be challenged, but I think it can be... And it be would be automatically if, reviewed at that point in the game, too. Yeah. Um, I'm really not sure. If you've looked at it and, and think it couldn't be challenged, that was my impression, too. Yeah, my reading of it this morning, going back and re-watching it and then trying to find out if it was challengeable, my reading of it what is is that it's not challengeable. Um, you can challenge a, a foul call... And you could challenge stuff on a dead ball, but like I guess I guess part of it is probably because like you get a, a little bit of butterfly effect of okay, well, um, what you know that that you're challenging something that happened before the end of the play. Yeah, it's um, sort of like in hockey with the offside, like how many how far can you go back for like right. an offside entry if like somebody ends like if a play should have been whistled dead and then you know three more trips down somebody scores like. Should that not count? And so you can go back forever. I think it's pretty clear. I I, I think I understand what the referee guessed. Like I, I guessed like Paul probably lost the ball at some point there, which would have made it a block shot and not a jump ball, which I think would have been the correct call there. Um, but it's pretty clear he didn't actually lose the ball at any point. So Bloom call. Well, like you said, and- there was a makeup call right after. Yeah, uh, so it doesn't even things because it's better to be up one with, uh, you know, 50-50 chance at possession rather than down one with possession, uh, even if you ended up getting two points going the other way. But still, they had some chances to win. And if you, back to the, the Raptors' response to the officiating, if you want to criticize Nick Nurse's um Frustration, maybe that was a frustration challenge with Chris Boucher. I don't know. We don't know. He used another one early in a previous game. I think it was on Saturday night to get Kyle Lowry a foul taken away from him, which kept him involved in the game longer, which was key 
Uh, it was also a swing. That one was also uh, took free throws away and swung yeah. possession. So yeah. that was like that. That one I agreed with. I like that early use when it's like not only saving foul trouble, but also points and possession. That's a pretty big swing. Yeah. Um, back I'm, to- I'm almost always going to think a block charge is the right time to to use that one. Yeah. Because um, you get the double the double effect of the, yeah. the call going the other way. But I'm also like fine in general if they don't use it and are waiting to use something important in a fourth quarter. Like even if yes, you, of course. E- even if it's like a twenty five seventy five scenario, I, I don't really care if it's that late in the game, you know. Um but speaking of what's happening on the court, the McConaissance. Yes. Patrick yes. McCaw, he's a, there's a lot of him. You had criticized him, uh, not criticized, but you said you didn't think the right role for Patrick McCaw after the Christmas Day game was uh, 32 minutes of him. Nick Nurse responds, As it turns out. You were right. You, you need 43 and 37 minutes of Patrick McCaw. Yes. So McCaw has been much better. I, I honestly, other than the Christmas Day game, I actually thought McCaw was playing better than what the comments and the tweets would suggest like I thought he'd been fine not 30 minutes a game guaranteed starter fine but I thought he'd been better than what we'd seen him as a Raptor um, especially on the offensive end where he'd been a little bit more decisive and some of his threes are dropping now these last two games he scored 31 points that's the most he's ever scored over two games Um, he hit some threes and is now up to 37.5 percent on a small sample on the year including 50 percent from the corners And then perhaps most notably, when you're looking at like taking what he's doing now and taking it forward into what he's going to be doing when the team's healthy in a bench role, well, McCaw as the de facto point guard has looked okay. He had eight assists against Boston. That was a pretty huge outlier. He's only had four assists total over his other five starts, uh, including two against OKC. But you saw what he can do. You saw that he can grab a defensive rebound or get the pass and push in transition. Uh, the Raptors are playing faster when McCaw's on the floor for the entire season, and especially over these last six games, which have been played at, at a slower pace than the Raptors normally like to play, and McCaw's been the guy who can who can push that a little bit. And then I think you see, too, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty logical if you have some faith in McCaw's point guard skills where your only two shooters right now are Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry because OG is like 11 for his last 60 and teams don't treat Ibaka the same way they treat Gasol above the three-point line. Um, so if the ball is in the hands of one of those two guys, well, then you have a non-shooting threat in McCaw outside too and your spacing's really cramped. So what the Raptors did in the second game against Boston was they traded that downgrade in natural point guard ability for better spacing and the chance to run Van Vliet and Lowry um, off the ball a little bit more. And as Nick Nurse explained before the Oklahoma City game, even if that those possessions result in a Lowry Ibaka pick and roll or a Van Vliet Ibaka pick and roll, even starting the possessions differently and getting into those actions differently um, can mix things up and keep a defense on its toes. I don't think Bacaw is going to threaten a triple-double all that often or, or pick up eight assists. But when he shifts back to a bench role and you're looking at these potential bench units that have a Terrence Davis and one of Boucher, Hollis Jefferson, and then probably McCaw with one of the starting point guards, well, then you can see, okay, those lineups don't have a ton of great spacing, but if McCaw can have the ball in his hands a little bit more and Lowry's then off the ball in a Lowry and bench unit or Van Vliet's off the ball in a Van Vliet and bench unit, and he can carry over some of that, you know, he threw a couple decent pocket passes to Serge Ibaka in the pick and roll. If he can pick that up with Boucher or, or with Ibaka back on the bench, you know, those are all little progressions that'll help McCaw when he's back in a 
a more representative role. Um, and then obviously it's been huge for the Raptors for him to play at this level the last two games and be a solid fill-in starter. Um you know, I don't, it's the old thing. You're never as high as your highs or as low as your lows. He's not as bad as he was on Christmas day. And he's not as good as he was the the follow-up game. But I think you've seen now over his 12 games this year, and especially his six starts, why nurse had some faith and wanted to give him some rope there. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's more of a facilitator than a playmaker. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like his, yeah, quick his hand passes. Yeah. His handle is still, you know, not where, it needs to be for like an actual NBA point guard, primary ball handler. And that's fine. That is not his role right now, but he makes some good reads and he'll make the next play. Occasionally he'll beat Shea Gilgis Alexander after dribbling for 16 seconds. (laughs) What was one of the funniest possessions of the game last night? I I thought Uh, Shea had just simply shut him down like all over the court and then, the last moment uh, McCaw was able to get by him for a layup. Uh, it's Oh yeah, he, g- he gave Shea his own medicine. <laughs> the little the little hezy hezy dribble uh, because I have I, I ran out of footsteps. Yeah. Uh, so he's been he's been fine and uh, I was calling for at least the consideration of a lineup change and that it wasn't because I thought McCaw was awful although in the Celtic in the Christmas Day game he certainly did hesitate the Raptors out of possessions or out of the ideal, you know, places for possessions to go. Uh, but more because I just thought there needed to to be a better fit next uh, to them. But if you're going to keep McCaw in the lineup, this is the way to do it. It's to minimize those chances McCaw has to hesitate as a shooter or a creator and to get the ball in his hands more to where he know his role is even more defined. And as has weirdly happened along with that, now when he's getting open threes or semi-open threes in the corner, he's taking them. So maybe they're, you know, just having the ball in his hands more. Coaches talk about this a lot. And uh, as mentioned pregame, like that was sort of a Jonas Valanciunas talking point uh, a few years ago. You're... It just gets you more involved and gets you more ready to make that next play when it does come across. And that was Nick Nurse's response. It's just more fun for everybody. And uh, Now, sorry, to your point, though, uh, yeah, to your point and our earlier analysis about McCaw's fit with the starting lineup, I actually don't think that that's mutually exclusive from him playing well. That starting fivesome has now played 98 minutes together, which somehow it's the third most used Raptors lineup of the year already because they've been so hammered by injuries. Um, they're still a minus 13.6 net rating. In 98 minutes against a tough stretch of schedule um, without much practice time and stuff, you can forgive a little bit of that. But I think it's important to at least acknowledge that while McCaw has been maybe better than expected, and especially the last two games, uh, that fivesome is still not working great. They were even against Boston. I think they ended up a slight negative against OKC. Um, So they're not winning their minutes. And part of that is, you know, there's always in small sample lineup data, there's always things like three point variance. Like the fact that OG and Anobi went 0 for 7 on Sunday is probably not representative of how that lineup would work over a long stretch, but they still haven't been winning their minutes. So I feel like that's important to acknowledge as we credit McCaw um, for a strong play that in general, that starting fivesome still does not look like a particularly natural fit. Of course, they don't have 
other options. Maybe they'll start O'Shea Brissett or Nick will throw another wild card out there and Shamori Pons gets the nod. Yeah, my, I mean, if fouls weren't a thing and the Raptors front court depth weren't a thing, like my ideal choice of everybody is available would be Boucher, but you just can't do it right now. Like he's, he's too foul prone. The Raptors in general are too foul prone that if, you know, one or both of Ibaka and Boucher get in early foul trouble, then you're pretty much screwed. So you can't do that. I thought like Malcolm Miller was the choice for me if they were going to make that switch. I I don't think that's particularly likely right now. Uh, Nothing's particularly likely right now because the, you know, the last two games have been have been fine. You mentioned inertia. Yeah, you've mentioned why that group sort of struggled on on uh Sunday night, it was mostly OG Ananobi's shooting. Uh, if he bangs a few of those in, McCaw's minus 10 looks a, a lot different, I assume. Uh, but, you know, when I when my mind was sort of focused on a, a possible line uh, change, it was sort of on Malcolm Miller. And for obvious reasons, that doesn't seem likely right now. All right, Eric, before we look ahead, because uh, we got to wrap this up shortly, we talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. Sure, it doesn't hurt on the physical side either. And Calm can help you out with that. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership. If you go to calm.com slash raptors, it unlocks content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better you can get started at calm.com slash raptors. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash raptors. Does this number surprise you? Even after all of these injuries, the Toronto Raptors rank number two in the NBA in defensive rating. Yeah, I did not think they were still that high. Um, so yes, it surprises me. Uh, Do you want to know why you shouldn't put too much faith in that? Uh... I'm going to guess opponent three-point percentage, but that's, I don't know. That's part of it. Um, they are giving up the most corner threes in the league. However, I was just going to say that right behind them at number three is the Chicago Bulls. So, mm. uh, The Chicago Bulls, by the way, since the Raptors' injuries, have the best net reading in the league. They've also yeah, only played. Yeah, it kind of only... makes that near-miss that near win in Chicago look a little better in retrospect. They've also only played three games during that stretch in which the Raptors have played six games, Hmm. which uh, shows you they're the only team in the league to only play three games in that stretch. Anyway, this is a lot of Chicago Bulls talk. Yeah. Which I don't Uh, think The Raptors are holding up pretty well on offense. Uh, Sorry, on defense, rather. Uh, Their offense has slipped to number 15 in the league. And I think now this is kind of... Entering the year when we projected where this team would go, this was kind of the concern, right? If they they didn't, they could hang in on defense, but they didn't have the offensive floor. Um, really, I thought that would only be the case if Lowry or Siakam got injured. But uh, when you pile Siakam and Gasol uh, together and you had Lowry and Ibaka out together, the fact that they're even still hanging in at 15th is pretty impressive. Way down toward the bottom of the league in both of those statistical categories are the Cleveland Cavaliers who the Toronto Raptors will host on New Year's Eve. Um, Kind of a fun week ahead if you can look past having to see the Cavs yet again. Uh, The Raptors then travel to Miami and Brooklyn, a trip that you'll be on, Eric. Eric, what are you looking forward to 
Uh, the week ahead, probably, I'm going to guess that that no one returns, considering that Thomas and Powell seem the earliest, and neither of those guys are um, seem particularly close. Uh, so another set of shorthanded games, another matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers somehow, and uh, you get to go on a, a fun trip to Miami and Brooklyn. Yeah, um, we talked, I mean, probably because we've talked about this so many times over the years, we talked not very much about Kyle Lowry today, and he has been awesome. He, uh, he as you wrote, is solidifying a an all-star berth. I think you're right, even though I had to do that exercise of coming up with an all-star team the other day, and it's it's not simple uh, in a good way, like that speaks to the you know, the Eastern Conference and and sort of trying to assign each player a team, which is something that happens, I'm sure. Uh, but if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be a lock. I think he's close to there already, assuming he doesn't miss any more time. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking to see if he can keep this up. Uh, I thought he was even really good in the Christmas Day game. Uh, he only went four for 13, but I thought his impact was all over the place. Uh and I'm also watching his minutes because he's playing a butt ton of them. Uh, it is. It has been a lot. Thirty eight uh, per game. Yeah. Um, so it'd be nice if if the Raptors would just get blown out for once, <laughs> or blow a team out, which doesn't seem likely right now because of their injuries. That might help things, but. Since the Raptors have so showed such an ability to get back in these games, uh, that means Nick Nurse is going to hang on to uh, you know play in the starters and play Lowry especially a bit longer. So that's I mean, if you're nervous about that, I understand, but it would also be foolish not to understand where Nurse is coming from. He's been awesome, and uh, it's great to see the Kalo version of Lowry uh, making a midseason uh, appearance. Uh, beyond that, uh, I'm very curious to see how O'Shea Brissett hangs in there. If he's able, you know, like the game against Miami, for example, like they really go and get after it, and they have a, a decent amount of spacing. And, and so can he still make his impact felt against a team that sort of, you know, is tailor-made to neutralize his advantage, his uh, physical advantages in a certain way. Uh, he'd also have only lost once at home all year. Yeah, they're they're very good. Um, although they have a worse net rating than the Raptors still on the season. Uh, but Fraudulent. Not, uh, yeah, they're, they're good. Um, all the top six in this conference, uh, I mean, the 3-6 and 4-5 series are going to be interesting and and who, who knows what uh and especially if philly ends up in the 3-6 range which they appear not to care that much about the regular season other than so-called statement games so it sort of looks like they will which is kind of a nightmare for a lot of teams because i'm still picking the sixers to get out of the east uh i don't know about you um, but we're on a big tangent now. I think those are the two biggest things I'm looking for. And just as we mentioned, the offense in general, can they find a way, especially when Kyle Lowry is off to, you know, not have those droughts, not have the, you know, the, as many late possession, uh, or late, late clock possessions as, as we've been seeing when things are going poorly, uh, the funny thing about Saturday's game was it seemed every time in the first three quarters that Nick Nurse or Brad Stevens called a timeout, 
the team went on like a 9-2 run right a- right after it, uh, which probably speaks to how good those coaches are, uh, among other things. And, and it also speaks to like getting your team or- reorganized. And so can Nurse sort of instill that in his team to last for a longer team? It's a longer time. That's a lot to ask given the numbers, but... I'll be watching because, you know, from a macro perspective, the offense is the thing to worry about right now. Also, because you'll be there. You'll be on the road. It'd be weird if you didn't watch. Yeah, but that specifically is what I'll be watching for. (laughs) With the ability to, uh, to shift my gaze should something else pop up. Um, All right, man. Well, I hope you have a nice trip. I'll see you for the New Year's game anyway, but we will talk to these people next, uh, next Monday once you're back off that trip. Um, So, guys, thanks so much for listening. Hope you had a nice holidays. Uh, Have a safe and happy new year. And, Eric, thanks so much. Happy new year, Blake. Happy new year, listeners. See ya! See ya!